Listener Production. Hey, it's Tom here with you for the weekend briefing. At the back end of this episode, I'm going to share a little bit of my um, my thoughts on cooking, which you will have never heard before on the briefing. Get your pen and paper out. There's a really hot recipe to come. Um, Helen, our producer, will be guiding me through the list. Um, yeah, real pleasure to be with you on the weekend briefing where we can go much deeper than we do on the Monday to Friday episode where we're, we're keeping it tight as we bring you the daily news. But going to go really deep with a very interesting guy doing really big things. He's having a real moment, this guy, Genesis Wusu. You might have just seen him in the Arias. He won three Arias. He's just put out his second album, Struggler. It hit the top five in the Aria charts, won Best of Album of the Year, Best Independent Release, Best Hip Hop Artist. So he's just killing it. It was only two years ago he won four Arias with his debut album, Smiling With No Teeth. He's just come home about to embark on a big Australian tour, his biggest yet. Very interesting guy. He's from a Ghanaian family, moved from Ghana to Australia, to Canberra when he was two years old. And as you'll hear, this guy has always broken the mold and it sounds like that is not going to stop and it's working. Hey Genesis, great to meet you. Thank you for joining us on The Weekend Briefing. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So you're living in the middle of a whirlwind. Um, You've been touring in Europe. The last time I saw you, you were on TV, beaming in live to the Arias, uh, accepting multiple awards, sitting there kind of in a pair of sunglasses in a studio, just looking like you were just blown away that the second album was going the same direction as the first, which is going off. (laughs) How are you feeling at the moment? Yeah, pretty good. Pre pre jet lag still. Just got back. Um, we did uh, six weeks in the US and then a week in Europe and got back to little old Canberra yesterday. <laughs> so definitely in like a void of not knowing where I am, what time it is, but feeling good despite it, despite it all. Yeah, right. So where are you right now? Is this the family home or you, where are you in Canberra? What's going on for you? Yeah, I'm in the I'm in the family home right now. <laughs> yeah, I was looking into your story and it sounds like a very musical childhood. Obviously your brother's well known as a rapper, Citizen K, but your mum um was the head of the church choir. So fair bit of music in the house. Yeah, yeah, just to to put it lightly for sure. <laughs> head of the church choir. We just immigrated from Ghana, so a lot of Ghanaian high life music. My brother, before he was a rapper, was really into like Red Hot Chili Peppers and Rage Against the Machine. Um, my dad would just kind of like put on any album with an interesting album cover. So that was just like a plethora of music just going throughout the house. Yeah, well, in your music, there's so many styles. And I was, I guess, thinking about your music and your life story, thinking breaking the mold is a big theme for you. And your music definitely breaks the mold. Um the style moves from, you know, those references you talked about there, like from Rage Against the Machine, I, you hear like some much more cruisy West Coast hip hop kind of sounds. Um, some of it gets very electro, rocky, almost like block party. And then you're also someone born in Ghana, growing up in probably one of the widest cities in the world, Canberra. Hmm. Do you feel like you've always been breaking the mold? Yeah, I mean, I think that's just how I learned how to live and navigate life. Um, came to Canberra when I was very young, 
like you said, in probably one of the whitest cities in the world. I don't think I'd seen a white person before. I don't think they'd <laughs> seen a black person before. So it was a very interesting experience for yeah. both parties. But yeah, I think just from inception, it just mm-hmm. kind of felt like the outsider, but learned very quickly that that wasn't necessarily a negative thing and just learned how to carve a path that was very much my own in every aspect of life. And that followed when I decided to make music as well. Mm. Yeah, I imagine as someone who was different from the people around you and, and then also when you took that into your creative choices, there would have been pressures along the way for you to conform. And I imagine you've been faced with lots of choices in life, whether to fit in or whether to completely go your own way. Has there been that pressure? Yeah, yeah, for sure, to this day. But I, it just feels, I don't know, as as much as I would like to think I'm like a reasonable guy that like thinks things through, it's like <laughs> not really always the case. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm very much a person that does things based on feeling. And whenever those, I'm, I'm at those crossroads, it just never feels right to go in that direction Mm. like uh conforming it it always just feels very natural to to just push the grade a little piss mm. people off a little <laughs> but um yeah so i just if it feels right to me i, I do it and hey shit here i am <laughs> yeah does that ever create friction points for you yeah so much but you know that's where the that's where the music comes from a lot of the music is based in very not pretty and jovial um, circumstances, but that creates uh, beautiful art and I'm able to frame it in a way that coincidentally makes people dance. They can dance to the, the pain and the sadness and, and get their pain and sadness out as a, as a consequence. Yeah, you talked about the two black dogs, racism, depression, and then I you know read comments that you, you lather it in honey, you make it sweet mm. so people can you know, tank in the nectar and dance or however they want to interact with your art. Is that something that you naturally want to do, lather it in honey, or is it something you feel like you need to do to make it digestible when it is actually about harder stuff in life? It was a, it was a conceptual decision. Um, I think especially on that first album, Smiling With No Teeth, that's kind of what the album title is about even Mm. just like putting on a bit of a fake smile just because throughout life growing up there was always those pressures to like you said conform or Mm. or to whenever these things kind of came about when I wanted to speak about them no one really wanted to hear it unless I put it in a certain way um that you know you know made it easier to digest so it's it's almost kind of like an ironic thing in a sense mm. to kind of lather it in honey you start hearing the beat and you you know you want to dance you want to groove and then a few listens later you're like wait a minute like, what's he actually talking about <laughs> don't even know what you see from the outside you can run god laughs with his mouth wide i will die on my knees on my hands tied in the end it's a roach first a landslide You've been traveling the world touring and I guess that mixture of of tough subjects uh, but with smooth beats or, or wild rocky kind of sounds, you're intersecting with different societies and, you know, different relationships between 
different racial groups, genders, all these kinds of things, you know, traveling throughout America, Europe, back to Australia. Do you think that dynamic, that tussle between the real stuff and how much you need to sweeten it so that people will actually listen, mm. do you think it's different here in Australia to those other places you've been traveling? I think so. I think every territory is very different, but I don't think I've gotten to a point where it's made me make music in a different way. I think it's just mm. changed how I'm received in different places. Um, and I've never really been received anywhere negatively, but like I can definitely see when I go from city to city, like which songs each territory likes more or which songs like gets them more energized. And it's, it's really interesting seeing how different places react to to different things. And I don't really know why. Maybe it's like contextual based on that country or city's history and what their people had to to deal with or, 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 or live through. But yeah, that's always a really interesting thing that I've, I've noticed. Have you played a show in Ghana? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to. How do you think people there would respond to your music and your style? I honestly have no idea. Mm. It's been a while since I've been back. The uh, last time I went back was was 2014. So I was like 15 years old, I think. So it's been a while since I've like really tapped in. Um, but, you know, there's only one way to find out. Ghana, 2024. Yeah. Once you finish this massive tour you're about to start in Australia, um, mm. you're about to play your, your biggest shows. There's some huge venues you're hitting. Is that scary? No, <laughs> no, feels pretty good. Feels pretty, feels pretty natural. I don't know. I feel like every time I step on a stage, I'm like, I wish this was bigger. I wish <laughs> there was more space for me to, to just like move around and stomp my feet. And, you know, we did the end more, still didn't feel quite big enough, ended up breaking it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, you know, hopefully the Horden and Fortitude Hole and, and all of that can finally quench my thirst. Yeah. But it's only up. It's only up from here. Maybe not, man. You got arenas and then stadiums to go. Um, <laughs> just recently, and this is a bizarre kind of comparative point, but I watched the Robbie Williams documentary on Netflix. Okay. And <laughs> um, when he was really on the rise, he started to almost feel a kind of vertigo that it was all going to come crashing down. And he also struggled with the with the rise came a lot more criticism in the British press, which seems to be particularly antagonistic. Mm. But it was this kind of stereotypical story and as a normal person watching it, like you're watching it going, your career's growing, you're playing to tens of thousands of people, but somehow this familiar tale where on a personal level you're really struggling with it and with the success somehow inevitably comes this like internal pain. But... Do you think it has mm. to be that way? Because, you know, look at where you're at. You've just dropped this second album, which is going so well. You're playing bigger and bigger venues. Do you have the fears or any of those those darker feelings that so many successful artists have had? Or are, are you able to just look at it for what it is and go, this is amazing? I think it's both, really. I, I, I carry that thought every day but not necessarily always from a negative perspective. I think like tomorrow this could all come crashing down mm. next week, next month. It's kind of like, you know, every empire falls eventually, <laughs> but 
<laughs> um, but I think that's just like part of the the nature of it. And it's not so much about when it falls, but like how much I can do and how much I can experience before that happens. And I think it's like, you know, when I was making that album, mentally and philosophically speaking, it, it ended up quite a like absurdist piece of work mm. where it was far less about like the what ifs and the how comes and more so like almost kind of dumb in a sense. It was like, well, this is pretty. This <laughs> today is really nice. The sunset looks good. My friends are, you know, being really nice today. Oh, this fan said something really nice. And not so much about like the grand looming, you know, existential crises and stuff like that. And I think that's a kind of really nice way to live for a little bit. Sometimes you just kind of got to turn the brain off and just really just appreciate what's in front of you. Yeah. I'm a person, you know, who's very open about, you know, mental health struggles, depression, those things that you mentioned in the the Robbie Williams documentary, like those are things that I'm very, very familiar Mm. with. And I think, you know, Robbie Williams talking about the the criticism getting harder to deal with it's like almost in a sense with me it's like the growing love is something that I like struggle with in a sense Mm. it's like the the idea that more people are seeing me from such a distance but are they seeing Kofi or are they seeing Genesis Owusu what is Genesis Owusu you know what is like this persona that's growing more and more am I able to keep a control of it or or is this image that's growing more and more in people's minds becoming a thing of its own? I think they're all things that I look upon with fear, amazement, wonder, joy. And then after I've pondered for a while, turn the brain off and go back to, Hey, that's a pretty sunset. (laughs) (laughs) So the fear, the fear part of that equation what is that deeper human fear that they don't love the real you, that it's temporary, that you can't keep the persona interesting? What, where, where does the fear kick in? I think it's almost all of those things, but I think the main thing is, yeah, I guess kind of the fear of this parasocial relationship where at any moment, like, I don't know, they're, they're consuming me from... I guess my social media posts or Mm. my 30 minutes to an hour on stage. It's superficial. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite, it's quite superficial, but, uh, and you know, any moment the real Kofi can, can kick in and can shatter all of that or can (laughs) build that up. I just think it's very interesting. I think it can all come and go very fast, um, which is something that scares me and excites me. But the real Kofi is, is the person who created that art. Um, the real Kofi mm. is where all those ideas came from. The real Kofi is inside that body dancing and performing. What on earth would make you think that they could like Genesis Owusu and not Kofi? I think Genesis Owusu day by day is kind of showcasing different parts of the real Kofi. And I think everything can be interpreted in a different way depending on who's interpreting it. Mm. You know, like when you look at a piece of art, depending on what I've lived through in my life, I could see that very abstract thing and think it's talking about this and someone uh, right next to me can have a completely different experience. And I think the interpretation of 
Genesis Owusu as a figure, as a persona, uh, the music that is put out under this name can be interpreted in in quite a few different ways, which is super exciting to me. It, it's like a it's like this literary concept of killing the author, which is like mm. once it's out into the world, it's no longer yours as the creator. It's everyone else's to, for their mind to to just grasp on and make it theirs. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a conversation that you started, but the artwork becomes the interaction between what you've said and how people are responding to that Mm. yeah yeah which is which is scary but it's also i feel like that's how art lives forever that's Mm. how it becomes timeless yeah i think it's all just part of the roller coaster Australia's never had another Genesis before. There's been no one like you. You have carved out a completely unique figure and you you stand as a real individual. But I know that you have some amazing people working with you. The band that you play with is the best band in history. Um, <laughs> maybe recent history in Australia, at least, you know. the, the No, in history. You got it right the first time. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> The guys that that play in your band, like Touch Sensitive, Kieran on guitar, Julie and Jonty, um, the whole gang are sort of music stars in their own right. So I guess with those guys and the other key people you you work with in other parts of your creative project, how much do you stand alone and how much are those people really part of the, the central creative work or are they just coming in to help tank the vision to the people? I think first and foremost, Genesis Owusu as like whatever it is when when it goes through, when the sausage is made and it's delivered mm. to the customer, whatever is delivered is like an amalgamation of of efforts of so many people behind the scenes. Um, you know, I'm the face of this demorphed, mm. <laughs> crazy figure with 10 arms and 10 legs. Um, that I just happen to be the face of. And and basically what I'm saying is that none of these things would be possible without the efforts of of all these amazing, talented mm. people around me. When it comes to the actual creation of the music and the art, I'm usually the central director, conceptualist. I think of the ideas and these amazing people around me help me make that into a tangible reality. Um, and with the band members specifically, you know, they're very much in the the creative process as well. You know, me and the band, we we make music through jamming. So we'll just sit in a room for like hours and hours and hours and just play whatever comes to our head. And then after that, that's when I'll uh, go and pick that apart and refine and then the song is made. And yeah, you've talked a bit about the deeper messages you know, some of them are really political, some of them aren't, some are very personal. You talked about being, you know, someone from Africa growing up in Canberra, that your life is inherently political. In one of your speeches from the ARIA Awards, you you went hard on the Gaza conflict. Is it really important that you say something about the state of the world or or is that just you creating your art about life and those are the things that come out? Yeah, I think like I said at the start, I'm a very feelings-based person. If something feels right or it feels wrong, I'm generally going to react on that. So when it comes to speaking out about things, it's not really 
some like philosophical conversation that I have within myself being like, okay, I'm an artist. I have this platform and this is what I have to do because I have this responsibility. It's kind of just like, if I didn't have this platform, this is what I'd be saying. So because I'm like an artist or whatever, that shouldn't change either way um, what I would be saying or how I would be feeling. Mm. So it's kind of like, despite what comes, whether it's positives or whether it's consequences, if I believe in something, I'm going to say it and I'm going to make it known. And if a person, a group, an organization doesn't like that or there are consequences for saying that, then I don't want to be part of that industry conversation group anyway. Um, I'm always just going to do what what feels right to me and I'll, I'll keep doing it till I'm in the ground. Hmm. And so let's finish up by going back to your childhood, imagining 10-year-old Kofi you know, maybe at a time in his life where he did really feel like an outcast, could that boy have ever imagined that you could continue being so different but be so widely and accepted and praised for that? Yeah, I think he knew. (laughs) (laughs) I think he knew. I think like, uh, yeah, it was always always on the cards. I think it was from inception, it was always a matter of when and not if. There was a confidence early on. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't be who I am if there was never a confidence. Mm-hmm. If there, if there wasn't a confidence, it would have been the, the, the route of conforming every time. But I knew who I was, which is why I took the steps to, to be here today. That takes some of us forty years to work out. Where did that, <laughs> that sense of confidence and self come from? Do you think? I think it was like just put into the the situations that I was put in that crossroad came at a very early age where it's like, I like, I, and it goes back to being a person of feeling like from a child, like I knew I f- felt that I wanted to say this or, or listen to this or dress like this. And when I thought about going in the other direction, it just felt very wrong and unnatural. And it was kind of like a do or die situation do this and be confident with it and, and put your whole into it or just feel absolutely miserable. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I just did what naturally felt right and now here I am. It's working. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> Great to speak to you, Genesis. Thank you so much. Of course, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, that was your man Genesis Owusu speaking to us just back in Canberra before he kicks off the Australian leg of his tour. It starts on December the 1st, so coming up at the end of the week. And he's playing, as he mentioned, big venues, um, Festival Hall Melbourne, Fortitude Music Hall Brisbane, Horton Pavilion. He's also doing Adelaide and Perth. So, mate, the guy's 25 years old, Helen. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, his first EP was in 2017, so Mm. he's been at it for a while. You know, there would have been a few years leading up to even being able to release something, that first EP. So, you know, it hasn't come overnight. He's been at it since he was a teenager. Yeah, no, I think I've been following him since I've pretty much come out of high school. Mm. And that was a while ago now, so. Mm, what a dude. Um, all right, so um, look, I don't think I've really even hosted the weekend briefing before. At least if I have, 
I didn't get the list right. So now we're going to do the list. How does it work? Yeah. So it's time for the weekend list. So we're going to recommend um, something to do, eat, watch, listen to, and yeah, we'll see how it goes. Okay. You go first. So my first recommendation is because we're going to, we're kind of coming to the end of the year and we're going into the new year and I've been trying to create more habits, like healthy habits from it's not from like scrolling on my phone on TikTok or social media. So I've bought this, it's called a gratitude journal, which sounds a bit lame, but it's actually really cool. It's five bucks from Kmart as well. And so I'm trying to do it every morning and then every night, but every morning, instead of picking up my phone, I open this little gratitude journal and you write like three things you're grateful for, a quote of the day, which I just make up. Mm. Um, and then today's focus. So I kind of do that and then quickly jump on my phone and then get to work. Okay. But yeah. How long, how long have you been doing it for? I've been doing it for a few weeks now. And sometimes I forget, but I think it's a good thing to do going into the new year. I'm trying to be like, okay, yeah, get off my phone a bit. But How's the screen time going? Oh, the screen time's bad. <laughs> What's your daily average? I, I don't know. I don't want to look. I, th- I know last time I looked it was like, Nearly eight hours, seven, seven. Heavy. Hour, yeah. That's heavy. Yeah. So this is why I'm trying to do this gratitude journal. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great recommendation. Mm-hmm. That could change someone's life. Maybe. Um, okay. One from me. We just mentioned it in the interview, the Robbie Williams documentary on Netflix. Mm. So just finished that last night and um, it's really good. It's really interesting. It's sort of part of this bit of a bit of a trend of you know, like David Beckham, mm. Michael Jordan, they sort of essentially produced their own life story or like a memoir and documentary yeah. form. So you, you are, it is being controlled by them, but they're obviously wanting to be pretty real and to share. And yeah, the Robbie Williams story, I mean, just the thing that, that blew us away watching it, he was and is so big. Like when he was touring, like just night after night, 80, 90,000 people, mm. mind-blowing. See, I feel a bit out of the loop with Robbie Williams. I was kind of like, who is he? Mm. And then I realised the songs. I feel like the songs that he's made, like, it's We Are The champ, the Champions, isn't it? That's Queen. That's what am I, the no, 70s. What, what's that song? Let me entertain Let you. Let me entertain you. <laughs> yeah, okay. Rock the DJ. Um, uh, there's a lot. I feel like his songs are bigger than him in my mm. my sense. Like, I know all of these songs, but I'm like, oh, that's Robbie Williams. Yeah. Like, I would have no idea. There is a bit of a, like, it, it almost doesn't fit the man and the scale of the music. Yeah, that's the thing. It's his persona. He seems so, like, his songs are so big, but then him as a person, I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, he's this mega crazy super pop star. He's rough. He's grungy. Yeah. You know, he's kind of edgy, but he is in the pop world. So yes. there, there is this, the, yeah, it doesn't quite fit. That's a great one. And I love those celebrity doco things. I mm. watch them all the time. Seems like people do. That's yeah. why I mean, they're yeah. churning them out. That's why they're number one on Netflix every week. Yeah. Um, but my second recommendation is a bit more, again, we're coming up to Christmas and it's Kris Kringle. So I always do it with my girlfriends, but you know, it's kind of like having a group chat or like something organized is a nightmare, but we found this website and it's called drawnames.com. We're using that now, family. It's so good. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love it. And you just put everyone's email in and they're like the names and how many people and it just randomizes it, creates the group yeah. for you, sends the emails out. You can put your wish list in there. 
And I'm just loving it. I'm like, this is amazing. And it's solved so many issues in the group chat. So yeah, if you're doing a Kris Kringle, use this draw names thing. It's great. Yeah, great to have you on board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another one I've got for you is a recipe. Mm-hmm. So not a natural cook. It's not my safe space. Um, it's not my power zone. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, I am, you know. Wouldn't have guessed. I've got a baby partner. I need to <laughs> feed them. Yeah. Anyway, so you get sick of certain things, get so mm. repetitive, and something that just sort of popped up, Amanda, my partner, suggested it, but it's, it's into rotation now. Four main ingredients. It's roasted cherry tomatoes, mm-hmm. ricotta, Blended into a sauce. Okay, yeah. With fried prosciutto and pasta, like a big rigatoni yes. or something kind of bulky. Yes. This is amazing. Yeah, see, this gives me like the, uh, was it Gigi Hadid vodka pasta? Not vibe? across it. No? Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, this sure. is the same vibe that I'm getting. And yeah, it's so good. These blending up the cheese and tomato in the Nutribullet thing. Mm, or you exactly, can, yeah. Yeah. I'm on board with this too. I do it with pesto. I make my own like super green pesto sauce yep. and you can do the same thing. So you roast the tomatoes with some garlic. You put half of them in the blender with the ricotta. The other half mm, you keep to keep their shape and the texture. In the actual pasta. Oh, exactly. Good. Yeah. And then you fry up the prosciutto, mm, throw perfect. it all in together with the pasta and you've so sort quick. of got this tomato-y creamy sauce. So mm. if you just let me run my own course, it'll just be like... <laughs> White, creamy, kind of, you know, carbonara seven nights a week. (laughs) So this is a way to pull it back into the From the jar as well. All right, is that the list? Yeah, that's it. You did it. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. This has been fun. Thanks for guiding me through it, Helen. And um, this was the weekend briefing. And uh, catch you for the Monday to Friday briefing sooner than you'll ever know. Listener.